To go or not to go to college, part two. This is such a hot topic right now, the conversation that millions of families are having, weighing the pros and cons, the benefits versus the cost. We hope these two episodes will contribute to those discussions. Part one featured two young entrepreneurs who bypassed college to carve their own paths. The focus for this episode, making the most of college years. It features three guests who took control of their own educations, shaping college to fit their needs, avoiding the pitfalls that too many students fall into. And we'll get to those. I have a tendency to get a little worked up about wasted opportunities. My three guests are all applying lessons they learned outside classrooms, accountability, reliability, leadership, teamwork, as they take on new chapters. First, you'll hear from James Knopf, who took a gap year and volunteered for some life-changing challenges before heading to Stanford, and then co-created the phenomenal nonprofit FarmLink. Then, two former college athletes, Clemson linebacker and captain Kendall Joseph, a part of two national championship teams, and Morgan William, who was the hero of two runs by Mississippi State to the women's Final Four. Morgan hit the long buzzer beater to snap the 111-game winning streak of UConn, the team that had beaten the Bulldogs by 60 the previous year. Dillingham, four seconds, three seconds to Morgan William. Morgan William is going to have to put it up, fires it up, and it is good! It's good! It's good! It's going to the national championship. Morgan William, don't stop believing. The Bulldogs are playing for a title. Morgan William at the buzzer. Oh, my goodness. You control your own destiny. I mean, you know what you're capable of. You know how hard you work for something. Uh, you know your strengths and weaknesses. You know opportunities where you can capitalize on. Um, why Why put someone else in control of your life? For me, uh, it just just reality hit, Chris. I knew that, hey, I have two degrees. I, have, I do have an education. I can be successful in the next step of life. And it's like, do I want to continue to chase this and pursue this, or am I at peace and, and and realizing that everything that God gave me to that point, I should just be appreciative of. And that's kind of that's that was just my mindset because I know a lot of people that they enter a dark space after their their football career is over and they don't know what direction they're going to go in, and they're still training and they're hoping for a call. And I didn't want to just be hanging around waiting and training and waiting for a call. I wanted to take action. But I think if I had just come straight from high school, I'd be missing the why. Why are we doing this to begin with? What is the purpose? What are we going to use all that we're learning to actually go do in the world? Um, and otherwise, you're going to make like the Uber for dog walking apps. That that will be kind of like all you take all your learnings to go do that. Um, and you'd really be missing the why and kind of the purpose. James' sense of purpose is very powerful for someone his age or any age. He's in his fifth year at Stanford, a super senior who's set to graduate in the spring. He grew up in L.A. His family emphasized the importance of gratitude and giving back. So, James, two weeks before you were set to start at Stanford, one of the world's great schools, you make a decision, a pretty quick pivot. What happened and what was behind it? Uh, Yeah, two weeks before starting school, uh, I ultimately decided that I was going to take a year off. Um, and that was, it kind of felt like you were kind of on this kind of career treadmill where you go from one thing to the next, to the next, and kind of race through school to get your job to go, 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 go. Uh, and I wanted to take just a second to, to pause, um, and see if there's other ways that I can kind of give back. What was the spark of that idea? The spark of that idea was, was a friend who was actually, uh, 
he's older as, as a journalist. Um, and he was just encouraging me to do this and kind of pushing me saying, Hey, you should really just take a year off. Hey, maybe reach out to some NGOs. You're, you're half decent at making little films. You could shoot some things for them. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. And how did that decision go over with, with your parents or Stanford or other people they had to run it by? Cause it's a little bit of a surprising move as you knew at the time. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the fourth child in my family. So I think at this point they'd kind of given up and they're like, yeah, it, it, they'll figure it out. Uh, I think if I was the first child, it would have been a much more difficult conversation. I think I was maybe one of three or four people from our school of, I guess, like maybe 400 students graduating that took a year off, um, you know, at a minimum coming out of high school. So it's, it's definitely a different, a different path. James emailed 20 humanitarian groups volunteering to film their efforts in Africa and the Middle East. He got one reply. Soon after, he was in South Sudan documenting lives ravaged by civil war and man-made famine. Next was Syria as the only American in a small group doing human rights work in Damascus at a very dangerous time. Later in his gap year, James and a friend spent a month in Nicaragua making a film about college students in crisis. At the time, the government was having a major crackdown on student protesters. Um, they were ultimately literally kidnapping students from the classrooms, taking them because they had been protesting. And the students there uh, ultimately rebelled and they kicked out the teachers, the school, everything. And they took over their university. They put up barricades around it uh, and basically defended it from paramilitary and police that were trying to come in to take these students. Uh, we got in touch with a couple students that were down there that were kind of leading some of this um, and ultimately decided that we were going to go tell their story. So you're really talking to the peers, kids who were slightly older than you at the time. What, what did you take away from your experience talking to college students in another country, uh, what, what seems to be a different environment? But on the other hand, the world of college students, some would say, is, is a, it's a, the earth is rather flat because there are universal experiences regardless of the culture you're in. What did you take away from your interaction with them when, when, that you later were able to reflect on when you got to Stanford? They're willing to throw away um, their entire future to fight for something that they believed in. You know, they were seeding their transcripts were going to be deleted, everything. They would risk going to prison, never, literally never leaving. Uh, and they were willing to put all of that on the line to fight for something that they believed in and to stand up for something that they saw was wrong, which was the government's oppression. Uh, that to me was incredibly inspiring. And I remember we kind of being at Stanford, it was the first day walking around and I was like, would that happen here? Would, would people here do the same thing? Humbling to see that yeah, experience. I, that? I, absolutely. I, it's, it was absolutely humbling to, to see and experience that. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just struggling for words here. It, I, I still think about it um, because ultimately the students that we followed, they had to ultimately flee the country. Um, and we ended up, uh, you know, fleeing the country and, and they're still there. And then, you know, they still can't go back. Um, and that's, that's kind of a hard thing because meanwhile, like, well, this, I, I'm, I'm down there for, you know, a month. Um, I ultimately get to go back to my life. I go to go back home. I get to go to school. Um, they don't. Have you kept in touch with some of those students? Are you still in contact with them? Yeah, every week. Um, mm. Still talking with 
with most of them and hoping that they are going to be able to return home soon. How has your experience been at Stanford different from if you had been one of those fresh-faced kids that came right out of high school in Southern California and walked on a college campus and not had that year and not had those experiences? I think I'd be missing the why. So Stanford has so much to offer and you can learn so much. And ultimately it, it, it's really, it's an amazing and it's a special place. Um, but I think if I had just come straight from high school, I'd be missing the why. Why are we doing this to begin with? What, what is the purpose? What are we going to use all that we're learning to actually go do in the world? Um, and otherwise you're going to make like the Uber for dog walking apps that, that will be kind of like all you take all your learnings to go do that. Um, and you'd really be missing the why and kind of the purpose. I think everyone comes with such a unique perspective that they kind of bring. Um, granted, mine was a little bit different, um, but everyone's perspective is valuable nonetheless. And I think what I ultimately realized is that a majority of people want to, they really do want to make a difference. And, and the question is like, how do you bridge this gap between like the economic and innovation hub, um, largely of the world, um, and then everything else that's going on and all the problems. And can we actually, are there things we can do? Like, can we, do these worlds have to live like this and be entirely separate? Um, or can we put them together? And are there ways that we can take learnings from each to really build a better future? What you expected it would be versus how it's been. And I'm talking about when you are in classes, not when you're taking, taking the breaks from studies. I've been so amazed by all the people, honestly, that has been like the students sitting side by side and always feeling like, wow, I, did they mess up and letting me in here? Was this a mistake? <laughs> like, that kid is brilliant. Or like, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard someone say. Um, so I, I think that part has been amazing. Like you said, it's, it's not the place, it's really the people. Um, and I feel really, really fortunate to just get to be a small part of that. I try not to preach to younger people, but I enjoy uh, giving ideas when I'm asked. Learning from other students in college is one of the least tapped into resources, people your age. Education too often is viewed as a, a linear thing from the educator to the students who just listen and absorb. It's such a horizontal thing. It, you, learning from each other, I tell if you just like open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart, you can come away from your college experience infinitely richer just from learning from other students. Forget what the professor's saying. If you don't even hear what they're saying and never take a note, you can learn so much by the folks that are around you in college. It's, that's spot on. It's like the, we always say, you're going to learn a lot more in your dorm room than you are in the classroom. Uh, it's kind of those late night conversations. Um, that's, that's, I think, where you really learn. And that's, that's one of the biggest values, I think, of, of, a, of college in general. Something else that concerns me, James, is this begins really young in life. This begins, as you said, the treadmill. For a lot of kids, the treadmill starts about 10 years old or even sooner. You know, living part of the time in New York City, maybe it's the same in L.A. when you're in the private school system. I mean, by age three, you're sort of tracking towards something <laughs> and your future is mapped out. And you're expected to be a high achiever. And the pressure is so real. It's actually um, not funny because you, the pressure takes its toll on kids. And you see the amount of anxiety and depression and, and kids who wrestle with all kinds of mental health issues, self-esteem, and, and so on. And, and it's because of that pressure from such a young age, finding a way to sort of release that, to keep it in perspective. What's been important for you 
to do that? What are the tools have you used to, to not get into that trap that, that so many students are? I think taking the year off before school was the best decision that, that I've ever made. Um, and I think that that's given me a lot of perspective to really not, it's not even like a tool to not fall into the trap. It's like, it's now, it, it's just, how am I going to get all stressed out about at a test the night before that I might not be prepared of prepared for? Like it's those problems feel like relatively, relatively small. And you kind of realize that that like feeling of kind of perpetual competition is really artificial. Um, and then it's really, it matters more about kind of what you do. Um, That's yeah. interesting because the, the feeling of perpetual competition is so real for so many students from much younger ages than college. And it's fostered by the system. It's a part of the system. It's built into the system. It's in some ways considered a key to success of elite schools to foster that competition, to pit students against each other. Yeah. So, so this is the part that I, I don't, you know, I don't fully understand. Um, you know, it makes sense. You want to instill values of hard work um, into students. That's a really important thing. Um, but like the perpetual kind of competition where you just kind of keep moving up and up and up until you finally find other students who are like exactly like you and therefore then you don't feel special. Like that doesn't make any sense. And like how many kids who go into college freshman year and have all these dreams about what they're going to go on to do end up getting crushed by that system. Um, that's the part that, that does bother me. But, but just to clarify, I have not, I have not experienced that at Sanford. Um, which I have been really, really grateful for. And I think that is a little bit different than some other schools. No doubt. Something else I notice when I talk to young people, not just college, but even earlier than that, is this intense focus on their future, on what's next, on what they're getting ready to do, as opposed to what they're actually doing that day in the moment. I do my best as an older person to express some ideas that what's most important is what's going on right now with you today. And if there's a way to not get preoccupied with always getting ready for something else, what's down the road, that's part of that perpetual pressure and competition. If, if what you're doing now, you know, is never good enough, it's always the next thing, the next big step. I mean, that's a tough way to live, man. And people out in the real world, way beyond college, still live that way. It's because we're trained to live that way from a really young age. I think it's really important. Um, yeah, it's, you, if you perpetually are on this trend of like, what's the next thing to this? And then if I do that, and if I just work for a couple more years, then I'll be there, there, there. I think that's when you wake up at 60 and, and realize you, you wish you would have done something else with your life. Um, that... I, I think this is, I think this is changing. Um, and I see this when I'm at, when I'm at Stanford, I think a lot of people um, are living more in the moment and are thinking more of the present. And maybe, maybe it's the pandemic that has caused mm. this. There's um, a consciousness raising in that area. You think where people yeah. are, are reshuffling their priorities and understanding not to take the present moment for granted. And absolutely. It's, it's not taking the present moment for granted. And then it's not, over optimizing for yourself. Like if all your thoughts are going into like, what am I going to do next, et cetera, this, 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 uh, and rather like shifting more into the present moment and what can I do for others right now? 
not what can I do for others in the future, but what can I do for others right now? I think that shift is happening and I, I see it across campus. There's a lot of problems um, and it's messed up and we have a long way to go. And you actually have the agency to do something about it. You've been, you know, won the, the, the lottery and been able to go to this amazing school and have this amazing education. What are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna do it to kind of like continue your success or are you gonna do it to try to help others and try to level the playing field a little bit? I think that that has to be the focus going forward. Like, I don't think we can really sustain, um, like in this kind of this globalized world, I don't think we can sustain this level of inequality. This mindset led James and his buddy, Aiden Riley, who was a student at Brown, to create FarmLink. It's an amazing all-volunteer group of about 150 students around the country fighting dual problems, massive food waste, which is also very harmful to the ozone, and widespread food insecurity. What was the spark for this not-for-profit student-run organization that has uh, done incredible work in, in a short amount of time? So when the pandemic first hit, um, in addition to the health crisis that was going on, there was an economic one. Millions of families were forced to flood a charitable food system that was never really designed for a crisis. Um, and at the same time that that was happening, as a result of closures to schools, hotels, and restaurants, farmers were being forced to throw away billions and billions of pounds of food. So Aiden and I were seeing that really, really big problem. Uh, and then the problem became really, really small. When our local food bank had put out a statement saying that they, if they couldn't raise more money or find more sources of food that they could have to close their doors and start turning people away. And so we said, okay, here's this really big problem. You have these two things. Maybe there's something we could do. Um, and that's how we got started. So you got an idea. That's a long way from making it reality. How, how do you do the work of, of locating farmers, getting them to understand what was going to happen to their wasted food, food they couldn't get to market, they weren't going to benefit from it financially, but it was going to go to the help other people and then link the food banks. Cause it's one thing to have an idea to know it's a problem. The awareness is an essential, amazing part of it, but it doesn't get the job done. Yeah. So, and this is what we always say. I don't think it's actually that impressive an idea. And I think probably thousands of other people read those same articles and had the same idea. Like, wow, that makes no sense. We should connect these two things. Um, and what we try to do is take that really big problem and make it really, really small. And so what that meant was literally getting on the phone and calling hundreds of farmers, um, trying to find surplus, talking with hundreds of food banks to try to understand what items they were actually looking for. Initially, we just spoke with our local food bank. They needed eggs. So we called about 150 egg farmers, got hung up on most of the time. One of them happened to have surplus, and that was kind of the start. At the time, we didn't have transportation, so we rented a truck, drove to the farm, picked up the stuff, and actually just delivered it to the food bank. Very hands-on. How did it grow? Uh, what was the uh, the growth process like in enlisting other students to do this? Yeah. Without getting paid for it? I mean, friends, family, like everyone wanted to help. Um, wow, yeah, let, let's do this. Let's figure out. And just slowly, we took a really open approach that anyone who wants to join, just jump on our team uh, and put it out on social media. And other people started saying, hey, we have the same problem. I want to do this in my town. Um, and pretty soon we had college students from across the country calling farmers, locating surplus. People were, Americans were seeing this through news that it started to pick it up and they were starting to just send us money. They're like, hey, here's 10 bucks. It's, it's all I have right now, but I know you guys will put it to good use. Uh, and that's really how this got started. The reaction and the enthusiasm from 
a number of other college students from around the country. What was your reaction to that? I mean, people of my generation certainly voice feelings pretty frequently about people of your generation and what what their priorities are and all the shortcomings and all the cranky old person stuff that we say. What did you perhaps learn or figure out about your peers, people in your generation, by the response to the FarmLink idea? I think when when there's a crisis, that's when we have to come together. Um, it's not an option. And I think we saw that through the FarmLink, through hundreds and even thousands of students saying, hey, let me help. Yes, I'm in. I have free time right now. How can I, how can I do my part, whether it's a big act or a small act? Uh, and there's like the classic view of like the the entitled millennial, or I don't even know, what are we, Gen Z or? <laughs> um, and you forget about labels. People who are, you know, approaching college age, in college, just out of college. That's the generation we're talking about here. Yeah, the people who are just, that people want to make a difference. People want to make the world a better place. Uh, and sometimes you just need a spark um, that allows for a pathway to do that. And so that's what we really tried to create. Yeah. Wanting to is not quite the same as busting your butt and doing it and figuring out a way to do it and staying committed, staying committed, not, not because it's a novel act, not because it makes you feel good for 15 minutes, but because of the hard ass work that it takes, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, this problem is, isn't going away. And it's, it's really in some ways you could say continues to worsen despite everybody's efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people like the, the pandemic has brought out like sadly like a, a lot of like the worst um in people at least kind of through the lens of the news um and in this example this is something of bringing out the best in people where you have college students who are doing everything they can to try to help others talking to as many farmers as they can finding surplus delivering it to food banks just doing everything they can so americans can keep food on their dinner table um, and you'd expect that maybe like, you know, we're a year into this. Um, it's only picking up steam. There's only more students who want to do this. There's only people who want to put in more time. People who've been there for a year doing this as a volunteer uh, and they're still driving forward. That to me is really inspiring. And it gives me a lot of hope that we are going to come out of this stronger. For the second time, you put your college education on hold. The first time was your choice to have experiences. The second time is to grow FarmLink. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an interesting path. And it prolongs, I guess, your time at Stanford, but you just felt that there was no other way. The time was now to sort of stop and give full attention to FarmLink. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, this crisis is something that, you know, this is the time where you have to set up. You need to put aside whatever's going on in your life, whatever's like convenient for you at the time. And if you're able to, you want to step up to help others. It's, it's times of crisis that really form character and who we are as people, as a country, just as, as humans. It's these crises that are gonna define us and it's what you do in them that matters. Did you kind of escape and, and slip away or did you try to step up to help those around you? Um, it was a no brainer. You've talked a lot about the importance, the crucial role the gap year played. What would you say though to people who say, eh, yeah, that's great, but I don't have any money. My parents don't have the resources to fund me doing this. Obviously, you know, you had to knock on a lot of doors, deal with a lot of no's. So you got the one yes to eventually head to Africa, be a part of that group. But 
it, it's still fortunate that you're in the circumstance to be able to do that. A lot of kids are not able to. So what would you say, hey, there's still ways to gain experience, to gain perspective in between high school and college or after college before the quote unquote real world if they don't have a pile of cash to use? I think it's all, it's about service and and finding ways to serve no matter kind of where you are um, in your life whether that means kind of finding ways just to volunteer at your local food bank while you're, while you're at school or it's after school, maybe like a lot of people, they join the Peace Corps or US like AID or Doctors Without Borders or all these different programs, but finding, finding a different, finding a different path. I think it doesn't need to be someone else's path. It has to be your own unique path. And that's going to give you a perspective that, that will, that will then be valuable. Um, and that you can ultimately use to probably try to make the world a, a better place. So I, I, I think it's, it's just, it's finding ways to serve throughout your life. For those of us that took some time off, ended up just traveling and, um, meeting people and, and drinking the various local beverages and, um, going to a lot of museums. I, I really feel unworthy of the time after talking to you. Uh, I wish I'd had those thoughts occur to me, but you know, I, I taking my time off was also really beneficial. I think we, we grow from all experiences. I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't giving a lot back other than giving back to the, the, the local economies of the bars where I visited. <laughs> There's, <laughs> And tipping as well as I could as a college student, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you, it's just, you kind of just said it there. It, it's, it's about realizing, just even being aware that you're on this treadmill um, that's kind of pushing you to the next thing and next thing in this perpetual artificial competition. And as soon as whatever it is, you travel and you uh, fuel the local bar economy, if you leave that with that perspective and realize, Hey, there's more to this than this kind of perpetual competition. Like what are we actually competing for? Wait a sec. Um, that matters. You speak about FarmLink and the mission with great clarity and persuasiveness. Is this how you are walking around every day? I mean, do you, uh, <laughs> do you have to resist, uh, you know, proselytizing I mean, spreading the gospel and trying to get everyone to commit their life to service and doing good and, and reducing inequality and things like that. Do the people, do your friends just kind of roll their eyes? Oh, here comes James again. He's, he's oh going to get on the gonna, soapbox. He's going to do that again. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. I, I think that's like almost the worst thing you can do is like, Oh, I'm so, yeah, I know that it's like, d- shut up. You don't know anything. I don't know anything. Um, I prefer to, I prefer to have this conversation at a bar and I think it would sound a little different. <laughs> <laughs> James and his friends since junior high, Aiden Riley, were honored by the 2021 Congressional Medal of Honor Society with a Citizens Honor Award for co-founding FarmLink. They accepted it with real humility, deflecting credit to the dedicated team of FarmLink volunteers who've already delivered almost 50 million pounds of food to people in need. They plan to serve about 100 million meals this coming winter. To learn more about the problems they're fighting or to contribute, go to farmlinkproject.org. Now to my two guests who met the challenges of playing college sports at an elite level while also earning their degrees. Of course, most of the college students I've gotten to know over the last 30 years or so have been athletes, of course. And so often, 
I've been so impressed with the players I've gotten to know, not just their toughness and resilience, but also maturity, intelligence, perspective, wisdom beyond their years. Both Kendall Joseph and Morgan William fit that description. Now, both told me they are very grateful for the opportunities that athletics provided them, starting with that full scholarship, but also the advantages, academic support, tutoring, medical care, mental health support are typically easier for athletes to get than non-athletes. But of course, there are the obvious challenges, the mental and physical wear and tear, the demands on their time. Many athletes are reminded why they are in college. They've told me they have to push back to create time for their school and some piece of a normal college life. Kendall Joseph was a three-year starter at middle linebacker for Clemson. He was chosen captain. I cover the Tigers games a lot, and I saw Kendall achieve the kind of championship career everyone dreams about. ACC titles, college football playoff bids every season, winning two national titles. A victory formation and a 55th win for this Clemson senior class. The Tigers reclaim their crown by crushing Alabama. So Kendall, when you thought about your life path, did it always involve going to college somewhere and was going to college always linked with being a football player? Um, I would, I would definitely say in the beginning before I really fell in love with the game of football, it was more just education and wanting to go to college and experience that. Right. I always heard that was a great experience. So that was something I always wanted to do. Um, when I started falling in love with football and I would say really fall in love with it, it was probably eighth or ninth grade. Um, and by 10th grade, I thought, okay, I might have the ability to actually go play football at the next level and receive an athletic scholarship. So once I knew that was a possibility, once I knew I had a window to receive uh, an education for free per se, um, I knew that was what I wanted to do. I knew that was something I needed to do. I wanted to make my mom and family proud. And and so in high school, I was really focused on that. And I didn't care what school it was. I didn't care if it was D, D2 or whatever it was. I just wanted the opportunity to, you know, get an education for free. Well, you chose a school that's definitely not D2. It was at the pinnacle of <laughs> the highest level of college football. So you get... Yeah. And we'll talk about, quote unquote, free ride because nothing's free in life, but you get to go to a great academic school. It's in your home state and the program is competing for championships. Was was your sense that when you got there, you got surrounded by these guys that their choices were based mostly on football and what might prepare them for the NFL versus the whole college experience and and the the pursuit of a degree? Right. Um, I would say. You know, you definitely have the majority of guys, or not even the majority, but some guys that definitely chose Clemson because at that time that was a, you know, a highway ticket to the NFL. But uh, I think one one of the things that separates Clemson is the fact that they do recruit based on the, the ideology of, hey, this is a family here and the community is great and it's all, you know, just a, a really a tight knit group. Um, I think that that resonated with a lot of the people that they were able to bring in. A lot of these athletes, they wanted – they wanted something that felt like a family. Um, they didn't want to be in the NFL yet, right? They didn't want to go to a college program that was ran like an NFL program. And so I think with Clemson, the family aspect, um, all the resources that you got outside of football, those were really the main reasons why people chose Clemson. So academics were important to you and your family growing up. You arrive at college and you look around and realize this is going to be very demanding in my time. How did mm-hmm. you immediately balance the commitment it takes to get the most out of yourself in football 
and the academic piece, knowing that you arrived as a three-star recruit. I mean, a good football player, but you were surrounded by guys that were more hyped and yep. more sort of NFL targeted than you were. So what was that balance between sports and academics like when you first got there? Um, it's, it's definitely, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot as a freshman. Um, you have the 8 a.m. classes. You have all the mandatory tutor, tutor sessions. I mean, your schedule is jam-packed as a freshman. Um, thank, thank God that I, I was used to kind of having a little bit of responsibility um, as far as just time management and, and doing what I need to do, right? So for me, it, it wasn't too tough. Um, go to class when you need to go to class. They have a well-wrote-out you know, schedule for you. All you have to do is follow it, follow it and be on time. And so for my experience, it wasn't too hard, but it definitely takes a, a lot of maturity to be able to handle all the responsibility. A lot of college players and their programs would all say encouraged to get a degree to take their school seriously. But the time commitment is so tough that mm -hmm. many feel limited by the choices they have, what degrees they can pursue, what kind of classes they can take, because you're competing in the classroom against folks that don't have that that responsibility, the hours that it takes to be a, a college athlete. Did you ever feel kind of forced in one direction or steered away from a direction you would, would have liked to pursue because it just didn't make sense for the amount of time it took for those classes? Um, not, not for me. Uh, just with the major I chose, health science. Um, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, but when you speak about the instances like that, you're thinking about some of the engineers and guys where the program is a lot is very demanding. And at the end of the day, there's sometimes there's classes that happen at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And obviously we're on the football field by then. I can say from my experience at Clemson, there were a few guys, um, walk-ons and a few, a few other players that did have, you know, majors where it was a little bit more extensive. And Sweeney definitely worked with those guys, right? Um, I can just, I can only speak for uh, Coach Sweeney and the Clemson football program, but um, there were times where people did miss meetings because they had to go to this class or there was a study session that somebody really, really needed to get to. Okay, we'll make it work. Um, in, my, in my experience, um, like I did have a tough class in anatomy where there were study sessions and labs and things that all the other students were doing that I just didn't have the access to, right? So we try to make that up with the tutoring that's provided to us and things like that. And it can be tough. You're going to miss some study groups. You're not going to be in the library as much as some people may be. Um, you just have to find that balance. Was the message delivered to you? Hey, we want you to take your academics seriously. But remember, Kendall, you're on a football scholarship. I mean, the coaches have one idea about what your main job is. Professors <laughs> might have another idea. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, they, they might not say it outright, but you, you understand, hey, you're, you're, here, you're here to play football. Um, uh, you know, make sure you show up to class and be a great student. Actually, you know, put everything you have into that. But more so, when you walk into the facility, it's time to lock in. Whatever happened in your day, whatever happened in class, leave it at the door and give Clemson football everything you have. No doubt. Part of college is getting to know people from different backgrounds that are different than yourself. How much contact were you able to have in your busy schedule with non-athletes, with folks who didn't share that same experience as you were having? Uh, I mean, you had, you had pretty good access in class um, um, around campus, whether you're in the library and things like that. There's definitely friendship that you build outside of the football community, but 
as much time as you spend around your brothers and your teammates and people like that, that's that's who you're really around. So um, you definitely have that balance, you know, after games, you know, we're all out enjoying the wins after the games and things like that. But I mean, you, you if you're really committed, you're either in class or you're at the facility, whether that's getting training or treatment, um, you're doing some rehab. Is There's all kind of stuff that you can be doing, watching film, um, just certain stuff like that that can take up your time. So it's not a lot of time to hang out. A lot of college students, athletes are not living in a bubble, and they have to work hard to connect with people outside of that bubble. And was that the case, do you think, for, for most athletes that the opportunities are there, like you said, whether it's in a classroom, if you got time, at a party, but you have to you have to take those chances. You have to work to have those connections. Otherwise, you could come through the experience knowing only people that are yep. doing the same thing you're doing. Yep, exactly. And it's you know it's really just about having that awareness. Uh, some guys it's out of sight, out of mind. But for some people, they realize like, oh man, this is a these are these are a lot more uh, connections and resources that you can be making down the line, right? And you're when you're done with football and you're in the professional world. All these students that you're sitting in class with, that's who you're either going to be working with or meeting or somehow, you know, connecting with. So it's, it's pretty smart to just make sure you're kind of you're balanced as far as your friend group. And, you know, you got your football guys, but you have guys that, you know, live a whole different lifestyle than you have different experiences. And, you know, there's something to learn from them as well. The personal growth in college outside of improving as a player and going to class, just gaining life experience, gaining confidence, being in front of people. And, and having the opportunity as a captain of a really popular, prominent team to meet all kinds of people from all walks of life. Did you sense early on that that might be an important part for your future? Yeah, well, as a young player, you, you don't necessarily think about it. Um, but as you grow, as you get closer to that finish line, that's, that's something you want to start thinking about. And again, Clemson and the Paul Journey program, everything that they have there, they're, they're trying to help help guys have that awareness, right? Hey, you're you're beating all these people. You get to speak in front of these people. You're doing interviews every week um, so they can see how you speak. They can see how, you know, just your your mannerisms and things like that. There's a lot of opportunities to impress people and um, to make a good first impression. And so I would definitely say by my junior and senior year, I understood the advantages of that, the advantages of um, saying yes to different commitments outside of football um, where you can just get in front of these people and meet them and, you know, make the, those connections. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not a hard connection to make, right? They love you. You're, you're a Clemson football player. So um, just go in and be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of very successful people who are Clemson graduates and fans and they want to pat you on the back. If things are going great, you're winning rings and trophies. Did you have any yeah. sense that, Hey, I'll give them this, I'll give them this some time here. It's not bad to be praised, but maybe I can get something out of this. Maybe this might lead somewhere in life after football. Yeah, and it's and it's hard to think like that. You know, for some people it is. That that might not necessarily feel authentic, um, but it's a part of the game. And if you're meeting these people and they, they want to take some of your time and they want to meet with you and, you know, they're patting you on the back, make sure you're, you're building that connection or you're asking questions like, what do you do? How'd you get into that? You know, all, all these kind of conversations can really open your mind to, you know, different avenues after football. Hey man, there's times in the sport when it's tough, um, mentally and physically, you come back from a road trip. You didn't lose very many games in your career, but win or lose, it's a demanding experience. How many times do you have to see that alarm clock go off, get up and go do a commitment to be a college student and, and, did you ever have to wrestle with that and say, man, this is tough. 
this is tougher yeah. than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it, it's it's um it's a lot to handle. Uh, like you said, it's some mornings, or we I might have played eighty snaps in a game, and that's a late Saturday night game. You're back at the facility on Sunday to get treatment and to watch film, and then you have that early five uh, thirty alarm on Monday morning to go lift weights, and you're you're still feeling everything that you felt from the game on Saturday. Um, it's situations like that where it starts to catch up on you. When you really get into the, the thick of the season, the great players or all the great players I was around, they were able to keep that mental toughness throughout the entire season because it's long, it's monotonous. You're doing the same thing every day. You have these weights, you have this treatment you need to do. You have all this film you need to study. And as a linebacker, it was a lot of film to study. Um, so there's there's days where you kind of just don't feel it, and that's okay. You, you're gonna have those days, and uh, but you have to be consistent and just kind of you know just just be even about it. So you're a starting linebacker for three years at the highest level of college football, but still many folks don't realize what a small percentage of even elite college players are lucky enough to play in the NFL and mm-hmm. stick with the team. So your expectations are probably that. But the draft comes and goes and your name's not called. At what point did you start to feel like, wow, life after football just began? And how did you feel about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I had the, the two tryouts with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. And I didn't get signed with either one of those teams. And, you know, it was at that point where, you know, I was either going to go to the Canadian Football League or the XFL at the time or – or I was going to start my career. And I definitely had a long talk with my family and, and they actually, they wanted me to keep pursuing it. They know how much I had devoted to the game. And, you know, we were shocked that we didn't get an opportunity in the NFL. Um, but for me, uh, it just, just reality hit Chris. I knew that, Hey, I have two degrees. I have, I do have an education. I can be successful in the next step of life. And it's like, do I want to continue to chase this and pursue this or am I at peace and, and, and realizing that everything that God gave me to that point, I should just be appreciative of. And that's kind of that's that was just my mindset, because I know a lot of people that they enter a dark space after their their football career is over and they don't know what direction they're going to go in. And they're still training and they're hoping for a call. And I didn't want to just be hanging around waiting and training and waiting for a call. I wanted to take action. And so it's, you know, there's really no, no advice or guidance you can give for a situation like that. Everybody, it impacts differently. But for me, it was just like, okay, I had a really impactful season of my life at Clemson. Now let's go do it in the professional world. And so that was my mindset. What kept you from going to that dark place, even for a short time? What skills did you have or what mindset had you adopted to say, I'm not going to go down that path when I'm faced with the reality, the football's over? Uh, It was gratitude. Um, Gratitude that I did experience everything I did experience. Gratitude that a little old three-star started three seasons for Clemson football and was a captain and, you know, all ACC selection. Nobody had had that written on my name. And so for me, it was just, like I said, gratitude. Man, that was an amazing experience of my life, and I can either – you know, now reflect on it and always have this pain about it. Or I can say, man, that was a great opportunity. And now I have all these resources and all these connections to help me in my next step of life. And so that was just the mindset I chose. It wasn't easy, but if you can continue to just be you know, grateful for everything you have, you'll be all right. Great mindset. Great mindset. I know it's a lot of things, but if you were to say one or two things that you got out of the 
sum total of your college experience, athletics, academics, that are helping you right now as you begin a career, what would they be? Um, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is accountability. Accountability, excuse me. Um, just as far as being a football player and a student, you know, it's a lot of a lot of responsibility on you, but you have to be accountable. Nobody's gonna um, make you be accountable, but when you can stand up and say, "Hey, I made a mistake," or "This is my responsibility. I'll take care of it." That's really vital in life. Um, so that's the biggest thing, and then. Uh, something that always rings with me is just being a servant leader. Um, this is more or so from the Clemson football side of things, but uh, how can I serve others? And, and in turn, you know, that that helped them out and benefit their life. Right. That's what I think of when you're being a leader, you're looking for ways to serve others. And no matter whether that's in the professional world or when I have a wife and kids five years, five or 10 years down the line, you know, being a servant leader, that would be really effective. So those are just two random things that come to my head. Yeah, the lessons learned are the great memories. Now, you're a cardiovascular ultrasound sales specialist for GE Healthcare. Your, your regions are Georgia and Alabama. Yep. Alabama, the team against whom you played four consecutive national championship games. They got you twice. You got them twice. How do your experiences as a football player impact your dealings with people in that state in a business, in a business arena? Yeah, uh, I think it's just having that confidence when you walk in the door, right? Um, uh, I think that's just the biggest thing that I could take away from it. It's like, okay, if I can go play in front of 80,000 people, surely I can walk into this hospital department and and make these connections and, and find a way to build rapport. And um, just at the end of the day, in the, in the field I'm in, it's about being a solid, consistent person. Can they trust you enough to even give you their money? Um, so for me, that was kind of the things that I, I was able to translate. And at the end of the day, hard work, um, no matter what what area you are in, in life, and what job you're doing. Um, if you can apply the hard work that you learned when you had 530 a.m. workouts and things like that, it's going to be OK. And so those are those are things that really helped me just make the transition. Um, I would say that. And then just, again, accountability, um, being able to manage my time, manage my schedule, um, because in the, in the field I'm in, you know, I pretty much have free reign. I have to build my schedule and decide who I need to go see and who I need to go take care of. So um, I would say the football responsibilities definitely helped me with that. A lot of folks who graduate college who weren't athletes get out in the real world and they're now faced with experiences that are very exciting to them and very intense in a new way. But when you've experienced as a college student holding a trophy for the national championship, being part of that brotherhood, getting to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and also coming short that wide variety of intense experiences then you go into a business world I mean many people feel like oh man I am never going to live anything like that I peaked when I'm 21 or 22 and seriously that gnaws at people so your day-to-day world does not include chasing a trophy but how is the the, the excitement of what you're doing day-to-day if it can match it or at least not be a come down from that right well, that's a great point that you even made. Um, just speaking with other guys that's you know play football and now are doing different things. The point you made and the fact that you know you have these kids that's had this dream their entire life, 
They worked as hard as they possibly could, played college football at one of the top programs. You have everybody knowing your name. You're flying on planes. You're eating filet mignon and steak and, and lobster. And you're doing all these things. And then it's done at 22, like you said. Some people in the professional world, they might not technically reach their goal or their peak till they're 40 years old. And now, you know, you have these kids that have, feel like they reached their peak and it's now what? So that's a great point that you made. And, um, for me, I think it's hard to match the excitement and the intensity of football and the competition level. But I will say that's why I got into the world of sales, because I'm able to compete against myself. Um, there's a leaderboard, just like there is in football, to see how many who had the most tackles this game. We have who had the most sales, you know, things like that. So it's very competitive in this field. And um, at the end of the day, you have to, you know, have that competition against yourself. Uh, you you have to hold that standard of, hey, I want to succeed. I want to be successful. How can I translate that into the next step of life? And if you do that, you'll be okay. That's awesome advice, too. What would you say to young people who are entering into college and they have the opportunity to play a sport but don't fully yet understand the challenges about what's ahead for them and what they need to make sure they accomplish to get where they want to go? Um, I would say to always tell the truth to yourself. Um, hold yourself accountable and um, really assess, okay, am I ready for this next step? And am I ready to, am I willing to put in the work? Um, I think that's the first step. And then it's just uh, more than anything, just staying balanced. You can't get too high. You can't get too low because you're competing each and every day. You're going to have good days of practice, bad days. You're going to have good days of class, bad days. Um, and if you're like this, it's hard to really find that consistency and it's hard for your, your teammates to trust you. So I would say just, you know, try to be even killed and take each day, you know, with the, you know, optimistic outlook and um, just just show up each day. Just give it your best each day. And if you show up each day, you'll be OK. And that was fun. I really enjoyed reconnecting with the guy whose college career I'd covered pretty closely. And I think even bigger things are ahead for Kendall Joseph. Now, like Kendall, Morgan William has already gained a foothold in the business world. She's a sales district leader for Pepsi. Injuries kept Morgan from pursuing a WNBA career. She played with pain throughout her Mississippi State time, a serious stress fracture in her shin, a steel rod inserted from her knee to her ankle. She also had her nose broken. Now, Morgan's mom remarried when she was three. It was her stepdad who first put a ball in her hands. She grew up with stepbrothers who were also passionate about sports. But at 5'2", she was told, you're too small by many colleges. She grew up in the state of Alabama, but wasn't recruited by the Crimson Tide or Auburn Tigers. And Morgan told me she never lost to either school in her college career. She made the most of her time in Starkville, but sadly, her stepdad wasn't alive to see it. Through every challenge, Morgan perseveres. What was that feeling when you're walking across the stage? You know what's going to happen. You're on track. It's been the plan all along, but when you get that, that, final moment when you realize you, you've achieved it and you've done it can you take yourself back to that moment when the when the diploma was handed to you um it was a very special moment so I have four siblings so I'm second to last so I saw my oldest brother graduate from Middle Tennessee my brother was a year older than me he graduated from South Alabama so it's just like it's a cycle for the family and then my sister is five years younger than me so she just graduated JUCO um like a week ago so for me during that time it was just like uh, is this what you're supposed to do kind of type deal. Uh, my mom was crying, so that was pretty nice to see her. Just so super proud of me and ecstatic for 
everything I've done, and I couldn't do it without her. Graduates get a special patch on their game jerseys when they're athletes in Mississippi State. I understand you went in there the next day. Let's get that patch on the jersey because this was middle of the year, so it's in the middle of basketball season. Get that patch on the jersey so I can show I'm a graduate right away in the very next game. It's like I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Go to college for to get the degree, so I mean, got to do it. The college experience away from basketball. How did it match up to what you expected when you think about, okay, not just playing hoops, but going to class, pursuing a degree, getting good grades, and and then all the outside things that go into being a student. How did that experience match up with what you expected? In the real world? Yeah, no, just while you were at school. How did the the, the college experience, what you imagined it was going to be versus what it was? Well... College sports was not what I imagined. It was definitely 10 times harder. I thought I worked out enough. I thought I was in good shape. I wasn't. Um, I don't think you could really match the college intensity until you get there. As far as school, um, it was it was good. I just feel like it was definitely difficult to not do well as a student athlete because you have so many resources, so many people around you, study hall. Um, that you, everyone should be able to graduate within three and a half years, I feel like. Unless, obviously, if you're an engineer and pre-med and stuff like that, you have to have extra classes. But um, everything else, I mean, school was, it was cool. I mean, like I said, you have so many resources, but athletics, it was, it was tough. There was a lot of days where I was just like, yeah, I'm not built for this. <laughs> Especially freshman year, but, you know, I almost didn't go to college. Um, like I said, my stepfather passed two months before I went off to college. March and I went off school like June 1st. I wasn't gonna go. I was supposed to wear four in college. I ended up changing it to two because he wore he wore two in college at Stanford University. And I didn't like it when he passed. I didn't work out for a whole month. And then I had a month mm. like I should start preparing or am I even gonna go? So freshman year was definitely tough. I think like so that was just a dev that was a devastating blood, but that was just tough to find the motivation at that point after he had yeah. passed away. Yeah, and then um we started working out in the summer because we was going on a European trip in August. So like June, I had my first couple days, weeks of practice. And I told my point guard coach, like, I can't do this. I'm not physically, mentally strong enough to do this right now. Yeah, I mean, she pulled me aside. I was just like, uh, I mean, this isn't going to be easy, but I know your father, he wouldn't want you to give up and blah, blah, blah. You know, gave me a pep talk. And I mean, she stayed close to me throughout freshman year and so on but yeah there was times where I wanted to quit before I got hurt I mean it's tough um losing someone you've been knowing forever and then going to live on you know the things we talked about like go be the best point guard go be the best player in SEC go do all these things and then when it's time for you to go he's not there so it was just like I, I feel like I got for a minute that I had that I had just lost my purpose I, I mean that was um that was me and him thing and then it was just me and I'm 17 at the time. <laughs> so it was weird. Do you believe that he's stayed connected with you? Do you feel his presence, whether you're on the court or off the court? Do you still feel that there's a strength and a guidance there that even though he's not physically around, he's helping you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, they always say that people know like when it's time's coming. I feel like the last couple months, he kept talking to me about stuff. And I'm just like, dude. I'm 17. Why are we talking about this? I don't want to talk about that. He's talking about, 
uh, last couple of months, it was just like, you know, the ball's going to stop bouncing one day, you know, make sure you utilize college and the resources, get your degree and figure out like what it is you want to do. Cause it's like, I know you want to have a family and kids one day and you're not going to be playing till you're 40 more again. So I think him having those conversations early on was, made my transition of, you know, walking away from athletics more easier because I had been hearing it for a while. College athletes to a lot of people are living the dream because they're getting to do something they love. But the challenge, as you mentioned too, it, it, it's extra challenging there that to do the classwork, to stay on track, to get your degree, to have a little enjoyment in life, to have a little fun in college, which is supposed to be part of the college experience. Any regrets at all? Or was that the path that, that you chose and, and you just, you knew what you were getting into? No regrets. I'm thankful for it. I went to college for um, on a scholarship, so I don't have any student loans. Uh, I think that's when, um, I don't know what's it called, but when, when athletes start getting paid, then we start getting paid like my sophomore year. So we start getting stipends and stuff like that. So all that's a blessing, you know, because uh, I know some of my regular friends, like, they didn't have it. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a blessing to say the least because student athletes, we, we, it's a privilege looking back on it. Uh, I think some of us take advantage of it at the time. Some people, like you say, some people don't finish. Some people transfer and it doesn't work out for them. And then they're stuck being a regular student. And it's kind of just like, damn, I should have took more advantage of this because I had all this all this access to things. It was successful. It was free. And I, I just kind of ruined it. I can safe to say you didn't ruin it. You, t- you took advantage of the opportunities. And what do you think you learned from athletics that you can now apply your career in Pepsi. You know, it's a, it's a very good job in a competitive business world. What did you take away from sports that have helped you and are helping you right now? Accountability. Um, step outside your comfort zone. Persistent. Uh, a lot of things. I was a point guard, so I kind of had to lead the pack, but I was silent. I did it by example. Uh, now I'm in sales, kind of just like you have to be vocal. You have to trust your team that they're going to go do it or execute it. But I'm kind of like a hands-on, but can't always be hands-on. Like, that's why you have a team so they can help you to become a better leader or whatnot. But I would say athletics have a lot of transfer- transferable skills as far as, um, I don't know, I think we'll just go talk to any stranger. I don't think a lot of people do that. I will say when I hit the shot against UConn, I was definitely an introvert, which I still am. But when I came back to campus that, that week later, whenever we came back, it's just like everybody wanted to talk to me and take pictures. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And it's not because what I did, I wasn't doing that beforehand. So like, it was like a culture shock. And then like when people wanted to talk to me and take pictures at that time and I didn't want to do it, they were just like, she's arrogant, she's this. And I'm just like, Excuse me? Like, I've always been the same person. I just don't want to take pictures and do all this stuff all the time. So um, that's that's a different phase. But just going through that whole uh, celebrity fame status was definitely tough for me because I wasn't outspoken. I wasn't outgoing. I wasn't sociable. But that was definitely best in disguise and outcome and still. So I have to do a lot of that stuff. Talk strangers, go interact with people I don't want to interact with, <laughs> go network. But now I'm starting to enjoy it. It's like I became a, a social butterfly when I'm out. But when I'm at home, it's just like, whew, it's peaceful. 
After Morgan's heroic shot to beat UConn in the Final Four, the Bulldogs lost the national championship game to their nemesis, South Carolina. But the next year, Morgan's senior season, they made another deep run in the NCAA tournament. The next year, though, you guys, you guys make it back to the championship game, and it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to keep it together. You get back to the championship game. It's Notre Dame. It's a game that's close, back and forth. And after you had hit the buzzer beater the year before to put you guys in the championship game, you now lose to Notre Dame for the national championship on a buzzer beater and are denied Mississippi State's first ever team NCAA championship. I know how badly you guys wanted that. That had to sting back-to-back years losing at the last stage. Yeah, I mean, we definitely should have won that last year. All I could think about was karma. Like, beat someone in buzzer beater, you lose someone in buzzer beater. Um, No, we should have lost that game up 16 going to the half. It's just things happen. It is what it is. But um, I would say me and my teammates, we enjoyed those experiences, those moments. Uh, any athlete, you know, who has opportunity to make it to the NCAA tournament, uh, to keep advancing is special, something you'll always remember and cherish for the rest of your life. What did you gain from that? All experience provides growth. If it's an intense experience, it can equal intense growth, even if it's a deep disappointment. What, if anything, could you take away from that pair of championship game losses and say, I'm a better, stronger person for that experience? Yeah, a list of things. The first thing I can think of right now is just attention to detail. That is so important. Uh, margin of error is slim to none when you get down to to the bottom of the barrel of a couple of teams. Um, everything really matters. Uh, your preparation, everything leading up to it. Um, I would just say focus, attention to detail. That's, that's what I'll follow with again. <laughs> Well, I cannot believe you said attention to detail. That is my selling point to young people. I'm going to sound like an old person talking to young people now, but I think attention to detail in an era when everybody's attention is so scattered and everybody's trying to do three, four things at once, and it's so easy to lose focus, and it's so easy to not pay attention to details. I mean, now you are in in a kind of a pressure situation. You're expected to sell big corporation, very competitive industry, you know, the Cola Wars. I mean, attention to detail, the fact that you got that as a takeaway. I wish more people could come away from their tough experiences realizing that is so much of what doing a good job is about, is the small things. Being reliable with the details is so crucial, and it's rare. Exactly. That Those one or two things you don't focus on, you forget about it, those things, they, they follow up. Everything comes back full circle, so... You take everything serious, everything you prepare for, everything matters. Have you come away from the college experience with friends for life too? And that's one of the things we haven't talked about, but I think the the bonds that people make and create during college years are powerful. You still have a core group that you stay in touch with that you're close to from from your playing days? Not that they were that long ago. You know, it was crazy. My junior year, when I after the famous shot, I ended up making like two regular friends like outside of like athletics in Mississippi State. Those are like my best friends now. And um, as far as like my teammates, I mean, I talked to some of them. Uh, Blair's my roommate all four years, but we still kind of like stay in touch. But everybody else kind of like, well, I was just growing up. 
but it's not like I can't call him like, hey, what's up? Like, we haven't been talking forever. But we spend so much time with someone for four years straight, all day, every day. It's just like, I need a break. Like, like I think my mid-junior year, I was just like, yeah, when I leave practice, I don't want to see any of y'all. I don't even want to see my roommate. I just want to go see normal people and not talk about basketball. <laughs> I want to talk about practice. I don't want to talk about game. I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to be normal. <laughs> That's a sentiment a lot of college athletes share. If you could talk to yourself back when you were in high school and struggling and not sure what to do, not sure if college was for you, not, not sure if basketball was going to be a, a passion for you, or talk to someone else who was in your position, who was told repeatedly, not good enough, too small, too this, too that, what would the message be now that you've gained some experience and, and gained some wisdom? I mean, you control your own destiny. I mean, you know what you're capable of, you know how hard you work for something, uh, you know your strengths and weaknesses, you know opportunities where you can capitalize on. Um, why, why put someone else in control of your life? Well, I think those are pretty wise words to leave you with. And I'm very grateful to James Kanoff, Kendall Joseph, and Morgan William for sharing their stories and their perspectives. We hope that both episodes of To Go or Not To Go help contribute to the conversations going on around this interesting topic. If you know others who might benefit from the words of our five guests, we hope you'll spread the word. And I'd love to hear your feedback on my Instagram or our brand new website, chrisfowler.com. As always, thanks to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and to Jason Weichel for his editing skills. And to help in this episode, to Miles Coplin, Tim Beret, Holly Rowe, and Josh Lively. And to Zach Keating for help in part one. Our next episode of Fowler Who You Got, we've got a very old friend, Lance Armstrong. It's a powerful, honest, emotional conversation. You want to check it out. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>